This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information at Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. Talking today about uh, depression. Depression's a scourge. It's over our land, the reality of which can't be denied. I mean, the numbers alone tell us that, <coughs> excuse me, it's such a uh, large problem. Globally, 350 million people are affected by some form of depression this morning. 11% of adolescents in the United States have a depressive disorder. 70% or women are <coughs> excuse me. Women are 70% more likely than men to experience depression. Um, 16 billion US adults will have a major depressive episode in this year. <coughs> Think about that. That's just a tremendous amount. And can, can you can you give me some water? Can you give me some water? And uh, 30% of all college students uh, who re- reported who report feel depressed so much so that they can't continue with their their studies. So uh, I just encourage you to really take stock of this and try to recognize that. <coughs> I'm sorry. Take, take stock of this and recognize the problem that it is in our society. And almost every one of us in this place will go through some difficulty in time where we get depressed, we get a little down, we feel like we're being uh, pressed down by the circumstances in our life, and we feel like we have to rise up against those things. So um, I encourage you to do that. We're going to look today in 1 Corinthians 19 at the life of Elijah. And Elijah comes to this place where he is... Uh, He's overwhelmed, and he, gets, he himself gets depressed. So depression isn't something that happens only to people who don't have faith, but it often happens to people who do have faith. And how do we overcome that? How do we become victorious over that? We're going to learn some very simple things from the Scripture here and then apply them to our life. So, um, so let's take a look at uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. The Scripture says, Now Ahab <coughs> told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of those. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, and while he himself went went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, the angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. Just like this one I'm going to drink right now. And he ate and he drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. 
Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out, and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram, and anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel, and anoint Elisha the son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Clearly, Elijah in this place is, uh, is depressed. <clears throat> he's come to this place where really he's at the apex of his career as a prophet. He's just recently been on the, on the mountain, called fire down in prayer to have it consume the sacrifice. Very dramatic story, if you remember it from Scripture. He challenged the 400 prophets of Baal to, to uh, this, this thing, and then he, this showdown, sort of the OK Corral showdown, and then... He saturates the, the sacrifice when it's his turn to pray. The prophets are dancing and cutting and going into trances and frenzies. And, and he, at the, on the other hand, is <clears throat> he's um, saturating the thing and then just goes into prayer and asks God. And God answers by fire. And fire, the fire comes down and consumes the sacrifice and, and laps up all the water out of the trench around the, the thing that he, he put in there. And so... By any stretch of the imagination, this would, be, this would be a good thing. The 400 prophets of Baal were slain. They were all run through with the sword. And so the, the prophet really wins the day. And, and so in so doing, <clears throat> he should be turning all of Israel back to, to God, to Yahweh. And so, but that's clearly not what happens. Look again here. He says... <clears throat> It says, the very first verse says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So we, we see here that, that Ahab <coughs> kind of snitches. He's the king. He snitches to the queen who carries more power than he does for some reason. And, and she's a, a wicked and evil queen. And she gets so upset because she's uh, tied into these false prophets that she... She reacts in a, in a very uh, powerful way and swears that she will kill Elijah. And this puts some kind of a depression over Elijah. If you read the story through again, 
we'd see that Elijah is on his way walking, and then he separates himself from his servant. He says, you stay here, I'm going to go. He walks for a full another day into the wilderness. As he goes further out into the wilderness, he goes on into that, in, into that place where he sits down under the broom tree, under the, under the, the, the bush. If you ever see these in, uh, in Israel, you'll see these giant trees that kind of bloom out this way, and they create a whole bunch of shade there. In fact, uh, after service, the first service, uh, somebody came up and showed me a picture of the exact spot that this happened. It was pretty amazing and, uh, and uh, just enlightening. I wish I had that. I'd throw that on the overhead right now. But Anyway, so, so Elijah's in the, in the, at the apex of his career. He's seeing answers to prayer. He's seeing healings. He, has, uh, uh, he, he tells the, the rain to stop. The rain stops. He prophesies to the clouds. The rains be, begin again. He's, he's, he's got it going on. And if, you're, if this was your ministry, you would be proud to say this is your ministry, right? Yeah, if, if God was answering with fire from heaven to your prayers, you would say this is a win, this is a good day, right? And that's not the case, though, here with Elijah. Elijah, and this happens sometimes after we, get, after we go through a great uh, warfare, after we go through a great uh, struggle, we, we, even though we may get the victory, we sometimes get tired. Uh, my mom used to say, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And, and, and so we see, this is what happens. When you get depressed, when you become overwhelmed and tired, and so he, he, he loses this perspective. And, and then, not only does he lose his energy, but now he loses perspective on, the, on where he is. We hear him say a couple times in this passage, I'm the only one. And often depression get, makes you lose the perspective of how many other people are going through the same kinds of things that you're going through. We think, I'm the only one, I'm God's whipping boy, everybody else is having a great time, they're all at the water park today and having a great time, but I'm, I'm, the, I'm the one that God is picking on, I'm the one that's going through it. So depression can, can shape the, your, your vision of what's happening in your life, and really, the enemy just chimes in with those depressive thoughts. You're, you're thinking the enemy's thoughts as he's breathing in on you and making you, separating you from God. It's almost as if he wants to make you so alone that you are separated from God himself. And so uh, that, that happens too. Depression can, can uh, bring with it these thoughts of suicide. We see Elijah goes over to the broom tree, lays down underneath it, and he says in his prayer, this is enough for me. <clears throat> what he say, or, or you would say it like this, I've had enough. Right? This is enough. I've had enough. This is it. End of my life. His prayer request to the Lord is, Lord, kill me now. You know? I go out on a win, you know, everybody remembers what I did last week, they don't, they, don't, they don't ever find my body, and so depression then works on him to the point where he wants to take his life. We, we, we think of suicide and, and the, the suicide rate in our country and think about how, how difficult that is on the people who are left behind. We need to believe that no matter what we're going through today, that it will pass. We need to believe that no matter what we're going through, it will pass. See, suicide is a permanent fix for a temporary problem. And so, and, and, and it creates problems for other people around you. So we, the, the choice is to not be blinded by our depression, but rather to choose faith, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, even when everything is working against you. So here he is threatening to die, even, even to asking God to, to, to kill him, and 
and he's failing to realize that this pain, this fear, this hurt, this, all this emotion, this will pass. And I said in the first service, emotions are untrustworthy. They are untrustworthy. The guy who shot those police officers was acting on emotion. The police officer who shot that concealed carry um, holder up in Minnesota was acting on emotion. He responded emotionally to what he saw with his eye and didn't hear what was said to him. Emotions are untrustworthy. Depression now makes him feel all alone. And so there he is, alone, by his standard, alone, hopeless, in the wilderness, and God gives him some great advice. Take a nap. Get a rest. Get some rest. And so he sleeps under the tree. We need physical rest. Isn't it interesting that God wants to heal the spiritual hurt on the inside of him? But before he can do that, he has to give them some very practical, physical advice. Get some sleep. Every single person in here has made a dumb decision while they were sleep deprived. Right? You've been, you've been tired, you've been sleepy, you're like, yeah, yeah, I'll buy one of those. Your Amazon.com comes in the mail. You're like, what was I thinking when I bought that thing, you know? You thought that was going to save your life, and now it's just a bunch of junk, right? Because you were tired and you were fatigued. We make bad decisions. So our, our, our sleep schedules, this idea of this rhythm, this circadian rhythm that runs through our life, is there for a reason. God puts it in our life, and it's bad enough that it's interrupted by our work schedules, but we have to make sure that we're rested enough to fight the battle that is coming ahead. And so that's why there, if you look at the, the ebb and flow of Jesus' life, you see him doing great works, and then often, he says he often withdrew to the lonely places to go pray. So he would do a great work, he would do some ministry, and then he would go off someplace and then rest or spend some all night in the presence of the Lord. You know, he would, he would get in that place and get a place of, of resting in his life. Then he would, and so, so this idea that our, our, it's not just simple, um, you know, you know, you can lay down in your bed for seven hours and not sleep. Or you can be asleep but not really being, be rested, not really enter into that sleep. You know what I'm talking about, when you have a good night's rest. And so God, God, in order to overcome depression, we've got to deal with the physical fatigue first. And so we have to be uh, strong enough to be able to do that. And, and so that means when we lay down, we can't worry and fret. There are things that God wants us just to drop off at the altar and not pick up again. <clears throat> Many of us come in, and we lay things down before the Lord, and we, and we think we're trusting Him for those things, but before we leave, we run back up to the altar and pick them up. Now, maybe not physically, but we pick them up spiritually, and we think that just in case God mismanages those things, we need to be there. And we have to be, be recognizing that trust means I'm placing it into your hands, Father. So at the, end of the, at the end of the day, you lay, Lord, this is a big thing. I'm laying it in front of you, and I'm saying, here, this is yours. And then we lay down and go to sleep. I have the blessing of being able to go to sleep anywhere. I could go to sleep right here. Watch me. 
No, I probably could. If you gave me enough, a couple minutes, I could probably doze off. It, nothing, my wife, on the other hand, struggles with sleep. And uh, nothing aggravates a person who struggles with sleep more than sleeping next to someone who dozed off right in the middle of the, uh, of the, of the discussion, you know. <clears throat> and so, it's sometimes, for some of us, it's more work than others. But the ability to get some rest for your body is to physically... Uh, redeem your body, and there, there's, a, there's a healing part of this, you know. Uh, on the other hand, if you sleep too much, then you may be trying to escape stuff. You've done this before, you know, you were like, I don't even want to get up, I'm going to roll over, maybe I'll die, and it'll all be over, you know. So you go back to sleep for another couple hours, and you wake up. <clears throat> That's, that, one thing you learn is that you wake up and you're pro- you still have problems, only now you didn't show up for work, so now you don't have a job. So you even got more problems. So it can, be a, it can be a problem. But the issue here is all about our, our ability to be able to handle life and be able to handle the feelings. Then God gives Elijah this tremendous command that I wish he would give me. Eat. <clears throat> Isn't that a great command? I mean, just think of all the words of the Lord that he's given to anybody Get up and eat is a great command. So he wakes him, stirs him up, and he says to eat. And so the Bible tells us that Elijah looked next to the fire, and there next to the fire was carbohydrates. Praise the Lord of carbohydrates. It was good Italian bread that was being cooked there, all crunchy on the outside, yet really soft on the inside. At least in my mind, that's what, that's what it was. And so... <clears throat> He snapped that crunchy sound when they break that bread. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Anyway, uh, anyway, so he, he was eating that, but I got a little, I got dizzy there. I got all wound up in that for a minute. That was very lustful. Um, so, so he began to eat that that bread. You notice it doesn't say that he grabbed a bag of Cheetos. Doesn't say that he ate a, you know, a pound of um, of uh, French onion dip and a bag of chips. Um, those are signs of un- unhealth, you know. So he determined that he would treat his body well, clean and green, you know. We have to, I know it's disappointing to have to eat well, because eating junky is so much fun. But you see, you're trying to overcome. So if you're trying to overcome, you have to deal with food in a specific way. And so this is important food because if you look at, a little more intently at the story, you recognize that God was going to have to use Elijah for something else. So then he went back to sleep again, <clears throat> as I often do on Thanksgiving. And uh, with a full belly, he went back to sleep again. And uh, God then sends the angel of the Lord again to wake him up again. He says, you need to eat more. Oh, that is even a better command, isn't it? I mean... These are great commands of the Lord. I want to claim these. You need to eat even more because your strength is insufficient for the journey that you're going to go on. So he eats again some more. And this is the whole point. See, God is going to direct him. But before he can even speak at all to the spiritual circumstances in his life, he has to get the physical aspect of his life in line. Isn't that strange to see, to see that right there in the Scripture? It's, this is the reason why when we go preach and other countries, we will often give people food and feed them because if, if you, they won't hear your sermon, if all, if, all your, if all they can hear is the growling of their own stomach, they can't hear the, lo- the God of love that you're preaching about. 
And so you give them you know, the, 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 the gifts, the bowls of rice and those kinds of things so they can eat and they can have a full belly and then they can hear what God is saying to them. So the physical is addressed and God says, now I want you to go to Mount Horeb. And so he, he goes 40 days and 40 nights on the strength of this meal that he's carved up. With, that's why it was bread. He had to go 40, 40 days and 40 nights. He's all carving up like he's going on a marathon. And he went all the way up there and he goes into the mountain, and when he gets to the mountain, the, the Spirit of the Lord says to him, what are you doing here? I love when God plays with us like that. Like, I'm here because you told me to come here. Right? Didn't you wake up, sleep, eat, repeat? Didn't you tell me that? Didn't you? And you said you had a journey, and I'm coming, and he gets to the mountain, and God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah tells him this sad tale of woe. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. That, in the, we would interpret that to say, I'm working my tail off down here for you, God. That's what he's saying. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They're heathens, God. They're breaking down your altars. They don't even pray anymore. They don't come to church anymore. They've given up on you, God. And they put the prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. God, it's just me. I'm here. I'm running for my life. Because, quite frankly, Lord, I need to protect myself because I've been working really hard for you. And, and I want you to, and, and as we hear this, this presentation to God, we recognize that He's going to repeat this again in a minute. But then this revelation of who God is. To the lonely one, the broken one, the scared one, to the prophet who's depressed, who wants to die, who says, I've had enough, to that one, God says, step out of this little cave that you're in, step into the opening, and wait for me to show up. If you were to go, if you were to go there in Israel, you'll see shattered rock all over the, the entrance of that cave. Scripture says that the winds blew and shattered the rock. And that broken rock is strewn all over the entrance to that cave. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And then the whole earth quaked. And as he's standing, balancing himself in the doorway to that cave, trying to hold on to something, the earth is shaking. And we would think this has got to be the precursor to God showing up. But God doesn't show up even in the earthquake. Right? Then it rains fire and he has to step back a it's half a step so he isn't swallowed up in the fire and the countryside is burned up and the trees are no longer in existence on that section of the mountain to this day. And it's all burnt up and, and so he stepped back a little bit, but the Lord isn't in the fire and he isn't in the earthquake and he's not in the wind. Sometimes God's not in the big signs of revival. Sometimes God's not in all the shaking and the quaking. In fact, when you're depressed, what you don't need is a bunch more stuff playing with your emotions. What you need is the gentle, small whisper. The whisper of God to your spirit. Finally, the voice of God comes to him. And the voice of God says, what are you doing, Elijah? What are you doing here? Again, he asks him the same question. 
You would expect this to be the great revelation. This to be the pill that was going to cure his ill. You would think this would be the thing that would straighten him out, but that's not at all what it is because what is needed to be revealed is the presence of God, the Almighty God who knows exactly where you are. No matter what cave you're hiding in, God knows where you're hiding. God knows that you're, you're downtrodden. God knows how you feel about yourself. But He's got to get you to reveal you. The revelation that needs to come is both a revelation of God and a revelation of how you think about yourself in the presence of God. And so Elijah repeats his song again. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. I've said this before. You can kind of almost hear an attitude as Elijah saying, Very zealous. Remember that part, God? The Israelites, they've given up on you. The Israelites, they've, they've shattered the altars and, they, 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 and, and they don't, they're not doing any of this stuff, God. And they've killed the prophets and they're trying to kill me too and I am alone. And God sees that in him. What do we need to do we need to rest and eat and repeat and rest and eat and repeat until we have physical strength. And then we need to go to a place of seclusion and get alone with God because the government's not going to fix your depression. Because the doctor, even when he gives you that prescription, that's not going to fix your depression. What you need is not a bunch of relig religious falderall. What you need is a word from God to your experience right then. I'm very encouraged that when people go through stuff in this church, they aren't, they'll skip their meal at lunch and come into the sanctuary and begin to pray. Pastor, is it okay if I just come in and spend some time with God? Yes, anytime you want to, you come in, spend time with God, get alone with God. Let, listen for the still, small voice of God to give you some form of direction in your way. Elijah's self-revelation is that he thinks he's the last one, that it all depends on him. And he's unworthy to be able to carry the, carry the water for God. He's unworthy to be able to do it all for God. It all depends on him, and he's too frail, and I'm scared, and they're trying to kill me. And to be honest, I'm not up to the task. And God's revelation to him is that I still have something else for you to do. It's interesting to me that God doesn't say, pobrecito. <laughs> it's interesting to me that God doesn't say, oh, you poor little thing, let me address the feelings that you feel. God immediately says, you don't need to worry about your feelings. I know that sounds harsh, but when you're going through stuff, the last thing you need to be thinking about is you. Right? When people come to me and say, Pastor, I'm really going through something. I've been going through it for a long time. I'm really down. What, what should I do? I tell them, go serve somebody else. Go find somebody who needs a sandwich that's living under a bridge somewhere. Talk to them for a little while. Go, go serve somebody. Go uh, help somebody out. Go work in a food pantry. Go, go deal with people who are going through things that are deeper than you're going through or different than you're going through. And in the midst of that, serving somewhere else. In the midst of you being faithful to what God has called you to do someplace else, you'll find yourself. You say, will that make my feelings go away? No, it won't. 
It will strengthen you to deal with the bad feelings you have. Eventually they will go away. I can promise you that. Because everything will pass. But in the midst of that, you just put your left foot in front of your right foot and you keep moving. And so what God says to Elijah, poor, pitiful, lonely, depressed, Elijah, scared Elijah, what he says is, I've got more work for you to do, son. You can't die yet. We haven't picked out your, your, uh, the person who's going to be the prophet next. So I want you to go pick out Haziel as king. Jehu, I want you to go anoint him too. And then I want you to anoint Elisha. Now we know from reading the rest of the book that Elisha would be a greater prophet even than Elijah himself. He would do twice the number of miracles. And he would, do, he would be an exemplary prophet in the, in the nation of Israel. But the issue, thing, the issue for this is, God says, I have more for you to do. You're, it's too soon. Don't give up on your life. Don't give up on what God has for you to do. Don't give up on what I've told you to do. Don't you surrender to this depression. Don't you climb up underneath the broom tree and want to die. Don't you just give into that thing. God has more for you to do. So you get rested on the inside and physically, and then you get uh, ministered to and fed uh, physically, and then you get strengthened spiritually because the Lord comes and says, I've got more to you to, for you to do. And then you rise up and you go do. And, and then God says, by the way, by the way, i got 7,000 more beside you that haven't bowed their knee to Bill. So you're not all that special. Well, this doesn't sound like very good therapy to me. I mean, this, uh, by all stretches of imagination, this sounds like a boot in the butt and a harsh word to not think so highly of yourself. This is more like fatherly advice than therapy. But the reality of it is God is concerned about God being glorified in this lifetime. And so he says, listen, I can't be glorified if my prophets just quit in the middle of the job. That's a word for the church today. I can't, I can't be glorified if the church doesn't do church the way the church should do church. I'm concerned, so concerned about our world. Why we are choosing violence on every, in every extreme. It's difficult. Worried about this world that we're leaving to our children and our grandchildren. And I think there's a 0% chance that the government's going to fix this. And that may be optimistic. It might be negative 10% chance. That means they'll come in and screw it up worse. What's going to change the world People like you and me, when we live the life of love that God has called us to live. I read today of a woman, African-American woman and her children who were out in the park yesterday after all the stuff of the weekend. She was out there. The story said that her son had picked a flower. Clearly he had held it in a death grip for uh, the better part of an hour, so there was not much life left in the flower. It was kind of droopy. It looked like it had been shoved in a drawer for a long time, but it was picked fresh. And this woman 
walked up to a squad car, knocked on the window, and asked the police officer inside if she could pray for him, that he would be safe. So she laid hands on this, uh, this uh, white police officer, put her hands on him, prayed for him that God would keep him safe that day. And then the little boy gave that old smashed up flower to the police officer. Police officer, who I don't know is whether he's a believer or not, I assume he's not, said that was the best gift he ever received. The simple act of one person loving another person, caring enough, can break, because you can only imagine that officer sitting there wondering if there's a target on his life today. You can only imagine what, what he would feel. It'd be easy to look at the news and get depressed. We could suffer some serious depression, right? This morning I heard, I read the story about four Hispanic guys that were killed that got overshadowed in the, in the paper by all the killings down. And, and, and then it was like, hey, we're not getting our stories told. Listen, friends, we just need to stop the stories. Just love people in the name of Jesus. Put our arm around people. The only way we'll break through this nonsense in our world is if we learn to live out the commands of God. God's not done with you, no matter how depressed you are. God's not done with you because the world is so jacked up that it needs more prophets in Jesus' name to go out there and hand a wilted flower and to pray a prayer for somebody. All across our world, the violence goes two, two different ways, doesn't it? Back and forth. We just need to get a hold of it. it you say, well, I feel scared. It, it does take some strength to step out beyond your comfort zone. But when you do it, you'll know you did right. The Spirit of the Lord on the inside of you will be excited that you stepped into that. We've got to break this down. A friend of mine, African-American pastor, a friend of mine said, it's not just a race thing, it's a sin thing. You see, we have to deal with the sin in our own heart and the sin in the hearts of other people by breaking through the barrier and loving people. You say, what does all that have to do with depression? Well, this morning I'm depressed about the way things are in the world. We've got to make a change. The only way we can do that is if we buckle down and do what God tells us to do. The cool thing about Elijah is that he snaps out of it as God speaks to him, and he rises up and he goes and anoints the kings that he's, in, in, and he's told to anoint. And he goes and anoints Elisha, his mentee, who be, then becomes his, the prophet. It clears the way for him to finish his life gloriously to the honor and glory of God and gives something for the future generation. The word of God will be spoken through the next generation. Let me pray for you this
Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.berwinag.org. Thank you, and God bless.